Amen, guys. Hey, as the lights are coming on, uh, I'm going to ask you if you need a Bible to go ahead and raise your hands. We'll have some guys giving them out to you. We're going to, like I just prayed, go through the biblical account um, of what we just watched. I, how many of you guys enjoyed that video? I don't know if you guys are fans of The Chosen, but I thought they did a really good job of um, just depicting what we're going to read about in Luke 2 today. Obviously, there's some extra biblical things in there because... I always like to point this out for kind of sometimes people go like, well, that's not in the Bible. Well, yeah, because if you're going to make a movie, you got to fill in the details. So the important thing is there was nothing that was biblically inaccurate. But yeah, that's their interpretation of what we're going to read today. But, you know, we don't go to movies to, to learn the Bible. We go to the Bible. But I just what I loved about that was just the the accurate depiction of the joy or the sense of joy that you saw these lowly shepherds have at receiving this great news. This theme, actually, that's behind me that I sense the Lord put on my heart this Christmas season, this good news that brings great joy. Amen? Amen. So what we're going to do over the next three church gatherings is we're going to start what I call our Advent or our Christmas series, if you will, looking at the birth of Jesus in Luke 2, taking some time to discuss um what the angels who announced Jesus' birth over 2,000 years ago called good news, like what exactly that good news is and how that news is meant to affect our lives, all right? This being a passage that many of you guys have heard before. If you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard it taught. You've probably read it yourself. If not, you might have heard it as referred to the Christmas story, like read in some book, like Jesus' birth. So it's probably something most of us are familiar with, but as with any part of God's word, there's a difference between knowing it in your head and living in the reality of it in your life. How many of you guys have experienced that, all right? Because we can know things and we can agree with them and not disagree with them at all. You know, just say, amen, I agree with that 100%, but then not be experiencing the reality of it practically in our lives so often, all right? This great joy that we're supposed to have at the receiving of this good news being one of those things that... We're not always experiencing that, okay? So it's important to remind ourselves of these things to make sure we're living in this because there's some very specific, desirable things pointed out in Luke 2 by the angels that Jesus being born into this world would accomplish for those that believe in him that all of us should most certainly, I don't think any one of us would not want to experience in our lives. One of those being great joy, right? Is there anyone here that does not want great joy? No, all right, you didn't answer, but I'm going to answer for you because I, I'm going to talk about this more on Thursday night or uh, Friday night at Christmas Eve service. But I can tell you right now, just to give you a little snippet of what I'm going to talk about, I can absolutely guarantee that you spend your whole entire life trying to make it joyful and happy. There's not a single person that at any instance in their life is doing something to make your life miserable. Okay, so this good news was intended to break bring you that great joy and, and one of the things that leads to that great joy is understanding our need for a savior okay this is the point i'm going to focus on today as we go through luke 2 that every single one of us is ingrained from the very youngest of age that we need someone to save us let me give you an example something that was i was reminded of before we start digging into the text recently my son ezekiel who's two and a half years old all right recently we were somewhere where there was a lot of people around and he was kind of, he's getting more adventurous as he's two years old. How many of you guys 
recognized. And when a kid becomes a toddler, all of a sudden they become, they want to become a little more independent, alright? And sometimes that's, that's a little more independent than they even realize is good for them. And what happened was, you know, we were, I think it was a, like a, like a shopping center or whatnot. We were out shopping somewhere. It was kind of an outdoor thing. And he was feeling comfortable enough to kind of wander away from me. And he wandered so far, not really far. I mean, I'm watching him, making sure I can get to him or whatnot. But it was far enough away that all of a sudden he realized that he did not know where I was at. Now, I knew where he was at. I was watching him the whole time. But he, I could see that he realized he lost sight of me. He didn't know where I was at. And so you could see his kind of clueless, like just like, oh, yeah, this is cool. I'm having fun face turn to this face of horror is he realized, where is my dad? Where is my, my, my security? Where is my place of safety? And as soon as I saw that, I was quick to say, Ezekiel, Zeke, I'm over here, I'm over here. And of course, he just kind of broke down and ran to me as quick as he could and just held on to me while he was crying because he was scared and then eventually calmed down being in that place of safety and, and not wanting to let go for quite some time, right? And it just, the Lord used that to remind me that I'm that same way in this world. You know, basically, the Lord has come, Jesus has come to be our Savior, our place of safety. That's why he says in this world, you're going to have many tribulations. It's going to be hard. There's going to be tough stuff you face, face, but take courage because I've overcome this world. Like in me, because I've overcome this world, you've overcome this world. So you can be courageous. Because you have me on your side, because I'm in your hand. I am your place of safety. I have come to save you. And we all need that in some way or another. I mean, most of all, we need to be saved from our sin, but we spend our lives learning that we need to be saved from so many things. And if you look to anything in this world to try to save you, to bring you some sort of comfort, some sort of place of safety where you don't have to be fearful, everything will inevitably fail you except Jesus Christ. Amen? So that's what we're going to talk about. And I'm just saying that so you understand, like, this is something we should all relate to. This is why you should listen today, because we all need a Savior in so many different ways. And that's one of the things these angels point out about this birth of this Savior that Jesus or God had sent. So let me pray really quick, and then we will get into Luke 2, if you want to go ahead and turn there ahead of time in your Bibles. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for coming to be our Savior, most of all, Lord. Just like those shepherds that hearing of your birth were so filled with joy. I can remember the first time I, I, I acknowledged, I realized who you were and that I needed you to save me. And the joy that was in my life and has been there ever since. You've given every single person in this world a reason no matter where they're at or what's going on in their lives, to have this joy in the hope they have in you. And we want to live and experience that in our lives. And so, Lord, as we talk about this passage, many of us are familiar with, Lord, may it be like we're hearing it for the first time and just truly understanding the magnitude of what you being born into this world did for us that believe in you. And all God's people said, amen. All right, so starting in Luke 2, Starting in verse 1, it says, at that time. Now, if you guys aren't familiar with this chapter, at that time is referencing what's been told to us 
in the previous chapter. And, and some of the things that have been told to us is that there was a priest named Zechariah who was visited by an angel. And, and him and his wife had wanted a child. They were old in age. They hadn't had a child. And this angel tells him, you're going to have a child. And here's the thing. He's not going to be just any kid. He is going to prepare the way or in a sense, tell people ahead of time that the Messiah is coming. The son being whom we know as John the Baptist, whom God spoke of through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40 verses three through four. I'm not going to go there, but just you, if you want to write that down, whom God spoke of through the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before John the Baptist was ever born. John, the apostle in John 1, 23, confirming this, that that is who Isaiah was speaking of, this John the Baptist that was going to be born. Now, this Messiah was spoken of in multiple places in the Old Testament. Moses speaking of him 1,500 years before the birth of Jesus in Genesis 28, 14, where it was prophesied that God would send someone from the lineage of Abraham or basically of Jewish descent that would not only bless the Jewish people, but he would bless all people in the world through them. This Messiah being somebody that the Jewish people were eagerly waiting for because the Bible said he was going to come and deliver them. He was going to come and save them. And at this time in history, when he was born, they were under horrible oppression by the Romans. And so they thought for sure when he comes, he is going to free us from this horrible captivity. He's going to save us from this bondage that we're under in For you guys that know scripture, you know that's the exact reason why they missed out. A lot of them missed out on knowing who Jesus was because Jesus came to save them from an even greater bondage that they forgot about or they didn't realize and that was their sinfulness. And so when he didn't save them the way they wanted, they rejected him. Also in Luke 1, we're introduced to Mary, a young virgin, betrothed to or arranged to be married to a man named Joseph. Then Mary's also visited by an angel and told that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her and that she would conceive and give birth to this Messiah and that his name was to be Jesus. Not an easy thing to be told as a young girl betrothed to somebody because in that society you got pregnant or you were accused of having like relations outside of marriage. You would be shunned. You could be abandoned by that husband you were arranged to be married to and, and, and have a hard time ever getting married again. But God tells her this. You are special. You are favored. And in faith, she believes and accepts this. And that also fulfilled a prophecy spoken of by God through the prophet Isaiah some 720 years before Jesus's birth in Isaiah 714, where it says, all right, then the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and we call and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us says at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed with a census that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. Now, this powerful Roman emperor, not being aware that God in his sovereignty was actually using him to do exactly what he wanted him to do. Him probably thinking, I'm just doing this for my own good. 
but God was using him without him even knowing it. And he orders a census be taken throughout the Roman Empire, which Israel was under the Roman rule at that time. So people would have to return to complete this instance, basically where it was considered their hometown. This being Bethlehem for Joseph. So him and Mary have to travel there from Nazareth where they were living. It's about 80 miles away. Not an easy journey, but they go back there. And this ends up being, as we're going to see, where the Messiah or where Jesus is born. Thereby fulfilling a prophecy God spoke through his prophet Micah around 750 BC or 750 years before Jesus was born, stating that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, where it says in Micah 5.2, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathath, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past, as in at the beginning, will come from you on my behalf. Joseph, being a descendant of King David, as verse 4 tells us, also fulfilling a prophecy about the Messiah from multiple places in God's word, one of which is Isaiah 11, 1 through 2, that says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch, bearing fruit from the old root, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. These prophecies... These few prophecies that I mentioned to you guys being a few of over 300 in the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus Christ that could not have been fake despite what some people would say because the oldest manuscripts are 250 years before he was actually born to fulfill them. That in itself being one of the greatest validations we have of the authenticity of God's word actually being from God himself because only God could correctly predict the future to that degree. And you might say, well, why isn't that publicized then? Well, let me tell you, because Satan does not want you to believe truth. In this world, under the deceptions of Satan, in a sense, just grazes over that truth or blankets over it so that it's not publicized, so it's not out there, even though it's right there for everyone to see. There is no other religious book in this world that has can be authenticated that way, like the Bible. It is unique, and God has more than proven that it's all true. Amen? It says in verse 5, He took with him Mary to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. This being no short trip for a pregnant woman, not being a requirement for him to necessarily take his soon-to-be wife on this trip to complete this census, it would make you wonder why she was going in the first place. And ultimately, we know it was to fulfill God's plan for this baby to be born where he was. But having said that, maybe practically Joseph was trying to shield his soon-to-be wife from the almost certain gossip that she would have to endure for being pregnant Despite that that wedding or that marriage not being fully consummated because Joseph had been instructed by an angel in Matthew 1, 20 through 25 to make sure his soon-to-be wife remained a virgin until after the birth of Jesus. And it goes on in verse 6 and it says, While they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first uh, her firstborn son, She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. A manger, if you guys aren't familiar with that, being 
like a feeding trough. Could have been made of wood. Often they were made of stone. And a manger would have been where they would keep animals. And, and so often, if you've ever been to... How many of you guys have been to Israel before on a trip? So what you often see with mangers is they're kind of little carved out areas in the side of like hills or rocks. And they kind of have a little outward fence. It was like their form of a barn, but a sheltered area. And so there's nowhere to stay. And this is where this is all taking place. Basically amongst kind of like farm animals or whatever they were keeping in this really humble place. And if you think about it, this is just crazy, right? That God in the flesh, that the King of Kings, that the Lord of Lords, who sits on his throne in heaven right now, was born. I mean, the fact that he came to live as a man, that he was born at all as a person is crazy, but in this humble way. That's how Jesus was brought into this world. And it says in verse 8, that night, There were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. All people includes us. All right? Remember that. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Now, history tells us that the priests sometimes would take spotless lambs when they found them and do this very thing. They would wrap them in cloth to keep them from getting any blemishes on them and kind of store them in a manger because that's where the animals were at so imagine this because these shepherds would know that like we saw in that video they they would be the ones that would be watching over these lambs and so they'd they'd understand that when they found a spotless lamb that was suitable for sacrifice it could be wrapped in cloth and put in a manger and this is where they're told jesus is the ultimate sacrifice the ultimate spotless Perfect lamb of God as he's referred to. All right. Verse 13, it says, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven in peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. This in essence being your very first Christmas carol as they do what we do every Sunday and hopefully all throughout the week. And that's praise God at the news of Jesus' birth, of him coming into this world to save us. Amen? Verse 15, when the angels have returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened And what the angel had said to them about this child, or once they met Jesus themselves, the one who came to save them, and God's word was confirmed to them, they couldn't help but tell everyone around them 
this good news that was told to them about who he was and what he came to do. They basically at that point became his witnesses, just like the moment you placed your faith in Jesus and you saw it was true and you became his witnesses. And it says in verse 18, all who heard this shepherd's story or basically heard their testimonies about Jesus were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Or the idea is she contemplated them. She meditated. She didn't just hear this and go like, oh, that's great and forget about it. She thought about it. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for others? The same thing I'm hoping we do this Christmas season as we go through this, no matter if we've heard it a million times, but we really contemplate what this means for us today and tomorrow and for all eternity. Verse 20, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. These shepherds are just ecstatic. Having left Jesus' presence, they're just hearts of worship, hearts of praise, so thankful for what the Lord had done through this Savior that had been sent to them. Now, I want you to know that there's three main aspects to this good news that these angels share, specifically in verses 10 through 14. Those are the three things we're going to focus on. We're going to answer three questions in the next three teachings, one today, one on Christmas Eve, and one the following Sunday. So you're going to have to go to all three if you want to get this whole thing. Or you're going to have to follow up online, all right? But it's a three-part sermon, and we're going to answer three questions. The first being today, who this good news is about. On Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about what this good news was intended to do for us. And then next Sunday, we're going to talk about why this good news was necessary in our lives. So today, we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about who this good news was about. And the answer is in verse 11. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. So the gospel, or this good news, is about our Savior. And his name is Jesus. And there's two aspects of Jesus discussed in verse 11 that are important for you to know down. No, or write down. Number one, it tells us who he is. And number two, it tells us what he came to do. Regarding who Jesus is, verse 11 tells us that not only was he born into this world, which speaks of his humanity, which means Jesus was a real person. He lived amongst us. And historically, that's verified. Nobody nobody doubts that. Nobody argues with that. All right? That Jesus was a real person. He lived amongst us. He was born as a baby. But it also speaks of Jesus being the Lord or God, which speaks of his deity, a name being given to him in Isaiah 714, Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. Say that with me. God with us. Say it. God with us. It it, it should sound, it should shock you a little bit. Knowing who God is, the great I am the creator of all things, the one that spoke this world into existence in six days, came to live as a person. That's who Jesus is. Verse 11 also telling us what God the Father sent his son, Jesus, into this world to do in calling him Savior and Messiah, which literally means anointed one. So Jesus is the anointed one on God the anointed one of God that was sent in this world to save you and me. Now, something to note about the strips of cloth used to wrap baby Jesus that are pointed out in verse 7. Some of your Bible translations probably say swaddling cloths. 
is that this would be the same type of material that was used when somebody died to basically wrap them and embalm them in that culture, which was often done to people. Think of mummies. It was a common practice back then, not just with the Egyptians, to kind of preserve a body. And so these swaddling claws, which probably were in that manger for the purpose I pointed out before, maybe to wrap lambs that were considered suitable for sacrifice. That's what Mary has available. So she wraps Jesus in these. Um, so they're essentially the same as what would be used as grave clothes, which is fitting if you know what Jesus ultimately came in this world to do in order to save us. And that was what? To die. As he was born into this world as a man to live a sinless life, which the Bible tells us, 1 Peter 2.22, among other places, says he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. But that proves one of the things that proves his deity because Romans 3.10 tells us about us, about every person in this world, no one is righteous, not even one. There's not a single person in this world that has done everything right. Are you a person that has done everything right? All right. If you think you have, come talk to me after, because I'm pretty sure I can prove you wrong really quickly. But not one of us has done everything right. We're all guilty of sin. Jesus was not. That proves that he says who he, or he was who he said he was, that he was the Lord. And as a sinless man, he was able to be the perfect sacrifice required by God that would stand in our place taking upon himself our sins because he had no sins of his own and paying the just price for them on the cross, which was death. Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death. You might say, that seems kind of harsh. Is that really suitable? Well, yeah, because here's the thing. When God created this world, before we chose to disobey him, death wasn't even something that existed, physical death. Physical death was a result of sin entering into this world. So in essence, sin leads to death. And honestly, most sins in our life, they may seem really small, but they keep going down that path. They will eventually destroy you and they will eventually destroy others. So in essence, the punishment fits the crime. Sin leads to death. So the wages of sin is death. Now, whereas death interrupted, so that that penalty for sin being something that we deserved and that Jesus didn't, but that he willingly took upon himself so that you and me didn't have to, all right? But whereas death interrupted every other religious leader in this world and stopped their ministry, it didn't do that with Jesus because basically what death did was fulfill his ministry because that's what he came to do because that was what was necessary so you could be forgiven of your sins and you could be saved. God tells us in Romans 5, 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And through his death, we've been forgiven of our sins and made right with God, which has allowed you to be reconciled to and personally know the Lord for all eternity in a father-child relationship. That's the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. John tells us in 1 John 3.1, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what you are. And this good news, as verse 10 says, is for all people. 
Every single person in this world can receive this good news by believing in Jesus, by acknowledging their need for him to save them. As Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9 through 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And at the declaring of that good news, you should be filled with great joy. Because every single one of us is in that same place of needing to be saved. As I pointed out earlier, it manifests itself in different ways. How many of you guys experience fear in your lives? How many of you guys experience anxiousness? How many of you guys want to feel safe? You want your family to be safe. There's all feelings. Every single one of us feels these at different times in our life. And ultimately, it all goes to the same place, though. Because the only absolute safe place we can be is in God's arms. And the only way to get there is to be first and foremost saved from your sin so you can be right with him. And then you can find safety from anything. This wor- Ultimately, the worst thing this world can throw at you is death and you're saved from it. Because death becomes nothing more than a stepping stone to eternity and perfection with your creator. And once that's been conquered and beaten, there ain't nothing that can touch you. Amen? Amen. All right, so as the worship team comes up here, I just want to, I want to focus on that as I close. All right? Just that idea of our need to be saved because here's one thing that stuck out to me in this that I don't know, maybe didn't stick out to me before, but really felt like something that I wanted just to kind of reiterate. Verses 15 through 16, I want you to note how the shepherds reacted initially at hearing this good news, all right? These angels told them that their savior was being born. They recognized their need. And here's what it says. It says in verse 15 through 16, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. So when they heard the gospel or the good news, when they heard about this savior, they recognized their need for him. And at that moment, the greatest priority in their life was to get to him. I need to be, I need to be with Jesus. I need to see Jesus. I need to, I need to be there with my savior. And this should be the same reaction for any person in this world at the hearing of this good news that I shared with you today, whether you've heard it a million times or whether this is the first time you've ever heard it. It never changes. All right, guys, never changes. For the reasons I pointed out at the beginning, because from the moment you were born and you first started having thoughts and recognizing that you were scared and that you were fearful, even as a little kid, you realize you need to be saved. You need a place of safety. You need somewhere where you can feel secure. And that can only be found in Jesus Christ. That never changes. It never changes. And there's always going to be things in this world that lead to you freaking out that scare you that you have no control over that you just no matter what you try no matter who you go to you cannot ease that feeling except if you go to the lord knowing that there's nothing impossible for him knowing that he's in control of everything knowing that he's for you and not against you through your faith in jesus knowing that he's working everything for your good 
Not needing to know the details because you know the final outcome. It's in your favor. But here's the thing. We all need to be reminded of that and we need to be reminded often because you know what happened with my boy? After he was consoled, after he felt better, he started getting distracted by everything around him again. And just as soon as he kind of forgot about that feeling he had momentarily ago, he started to drift and he started to wander away. And that's what happens to us. We get secure. We feel safe. We see all the stuff around us and it becomes a distraction and it draws us away. We drift. We forget our place of safety. We forget about our need for our savior until we get to that moment of fear. Until there's that thing that we can't control. Until there's that that thing that produces the anxiety and the anxiousness. And then we remember really quick, I need to run to Jesus. But here's the better thing. And this is why this good news is important every day of our lives. Not just once when you get saved. Because we don't have to get to those points. We can cling to Jesus. We can be like these shepherds and urgently make it our priority to stay in our place of safety every single day of our lives. But you got to be intentional about it because it's so easy to drift. It's so easy to forget. It's something that we have to remind ourselves constantly. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to do communion together in a second. So if you didn't get communion elements, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. We'll have some guys that will pass those out to you. But the purpose of communion is to remember the cross. It's to remember the good news. And that's why we're to do one of the reasons we do that often. But also, I just want to encourage you kind of with that word. If you're somebody here that finds yourself in that place of being scared, of being anxious, of being worried, whatever the reason. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world that can cause you that. There's a lot of stuff that happens in your everyday life. I would say the answer for you is the same as it was the first time you heard about Jesus and realized you need him to save you from your sin. You just need to go to Jesus. Sometimes I think we we say that and we we overthink, well, what does that mean? It means you go to Jesus. (laughs) It means you run to him, just like you, you acknowledge, you reach out to him, you say, God... I'm scared. I'm freaking out because I can't handle this thing. I'm worried that this worst case scenario is going to happen. Lord, I know that you say you're going to be good. I know that you nothing's impossible for you. Help me just trust you with this. I just want to give it to you. Instead of trying to just figure it out yourself. Instead of just trying to go to other things for solutions. In the process of doing that, I know that I can so often forget to go to the first and foremost solution to any problem, and that's my savior, my place of safety. So maybe you just haven't done that, or maybe you just need to do it again. And I'd encourage you to do that right now, because here's the thing. You've been saved from your sin. You've been made a child of God through your faith in Jesus. You're part of his kingdom, not this world. You're just passing through. And one day... You're going to be with him again for all eternity. Hallelujah. Amen. Remind yourself of that and live in that security. Don't just believe it in your head. Live in it. That's the abundant life Jesus was talking about. He wants you to feel safe. You have no reason to not feel safe. He wants you to live in that place of safety because you've been saved. Christian, nothing can change that or undo it. And if you're somebody that hasn't ever gone to Jesus, that you're here today and you've, I'm 
100% sure I, I can say because I was at that place for the 20 years of my life. But you just find that you're worried, you're anxious, you have anxiety, you feel unsafe. And there's nothing that works to bring you to that place of feeling all right, of feeling like, okay, cool. Now, now I don't have to worry. You know, you, you just can't get there no matter what you try. It's because there's only one person that can bring you to that place of safety, that can save you. And that's Jesus. And the answer for you is the same for any of us. You just need to run to him. You just didn't need to acknowledge. I, I, I see it, Lord. I need you to save me. I need you to save me from my sin. I need you to make me right with God. I need you to be the Lord of my life and protect me. I need to be in your arms. Jesus coming, being born into this world and dying on that cross. God did everything for you because there was nothing you could do so you could have that relationship and you could be saved. And you, whether you came here knowing that or not, you know it now. And you can leave here being in God's arms, being his child, having his Holy Spirit inside of you so you're never alone. And all you got to do is acknowledge it. You turn from walking away from God. It's called repentance and you turn towards God. And you have a chance to do that right now. We're going to have our prayer team around the room. Come up and we'll lead you in a prayer to do that. If you're somebody that's, you know, a believer and you're struggling Come up and pray with your brothers and sisters. We want to bear that burden with you and pray with you so that you can live in that safety, that with your Savior and the joy that he intends for you. We'll do communion after this song, but I just want to allow this time to respond and really make sure and acknowledge that we're living in this blessing that God intends for us in sending his son to save us. From sin and everything else that comes with it. The destruction it caused. You've been saved from it, believer. Let's make sure we're living in that truth.